I'm Brian Hyatt. This is Rolling Stone Music Now. So these are always some of the most fun episodes to do over the next couple weeks. I've got episodes coming, looking back at the music you may have missed in 2023. And I get to have Rolling Stone's great staff on and share some of the best music they heard. And some of it ends up being new to me, and some of it is just a reminder of the stuff I loved. So again, it's always really fun. So we're going to break these down by genre, and we're going to start out today with indie rock. To do so, I have with me Angie Martosio, John Dolan, and Simon Vozik levinson Simon, I know you had some thoughts on this year overall. I think we could start by just saying that I think 2023 was a really strong year for indie rock. It's a genre that people sometimes wonder, is it still going? Does it still have new things to say? And I I think we saw this past year that the answer is yes, absolutely. My two favorite albums of last year were both strong indie rock releases. That's not always the case, but I think it was a really good year. It seemed for a little bit, especially during COVID, that indie rock got hit especially hard because it's a live, it's an especially live medium based on bands touring and bands being in rooms together and playing guitars together. And it seemed like it took a little bit of a dip during that time. And I think this was the first year where I felt like it was just a, like Simon says, it's really strong. Like when we were going to trying to get to 40 albums, it was like, we could have gone. I kept finding ones later. Oh, we should have done that. We should have done this because there were so many good ones coming out. The thousand best indie rock albums of 2023. (laughs) Simon, why don't we start with, you said the two of your favorite albums of the year period were indie rock. That's a strong statement. So let's maybe start with those albums. Yeah, so for me, there was no better album released in 2023 than the Boy Genius album, unless it was the Blanchelle album. Those two kind of duked it out for me over the course of the year in terms of which had the most insightful songwriting, the sharpest hooks, the most kind of original perspectives. For me personally, that was kind of almost like a tie. I mean, those are just two incredibly strong albums from actually four really great indie songwriters. So our mission here is to talk about 2023 albums that you might have missed, which I think basically this is a genre where we can hit everything. I think the one exception we won't go into too much is the Boy Genius album because it was huge and Angie and I did a whole episode on it already. But yes, highly recommended uh, Boy Genius album. But let's talk about Blonde Shell. I think everyone here, and that is a, a really, really strong album. Yeah, Blanchelle is this songwriter, Sabrina Teitelbaum, and she has bandmates who make the music with her, and they're a really great band when you see them live, but on record, it's her record, it's very much her voice and perspective, which is just this incredibly striking lyrical voice, and actually just actually voice voice that really just grabs your attention from the first note and kind of doesn't let go. It was like a, a moniker her sister came up with as a joke years ago, and she stuck with it. Her previous album was under uh, the name Baum. B-A-U-M after her last name. And it was like wild pop music that did not sound anything like her. And it was very clean, ambitious, and very sleekly produced. If you listen to it now, it's funny. She's almost embarrassed about it because it sounds nothing like this album. The single on her pop act was literally called Fuckboy. It's a really, I don't think Sabrina would mind us saying it. It's not very good. And then this album, like Sepsis, she literally starts saying, I'm going back to him. I know my therapist pissed. And it's a completely like different change in direction. It's like very stark and blunt and it's so good. I think it's worth saying like every single song you just play over and over again which makes this album all more interesting to me. It's such a journey, and it came out of nowhere. I mean, you, when you listen to a song like Joyner... Now you're 
you you get the sense that you're listening to like a charismatic, intense alt rock front person and songwriter who you probably didn't know about a year or two ago. And that's really that's a cool thing to see that happening. This kind of like shooting star kind of quality. I do think touching on what Simon said, it's like a really big breakthrough for indie rock was last year, I would say. The fact that Boy Genius played Madison Square Garden and has been nominated for Grammys. And then there's Blonde Shell, who toured with Liz Fair and just yesterday did a joint interview with Slater Kinney. Like it's, it felt like a really momentous year. And, you know, just this morning, we're in 2024 now, but Alex G, who's like an indie rock champion, just signed to RCA. It's, it's a very different moment that we're living in. And that being said, there's so many albums that we didn't really get a chance to talk about or cover. So I think this is a good time to do it. The Boy Genius record was a major label release, which says a lot for kind of indie rock's power to be a mainstream force these days. Again, yeah. I mean, and I think the, the Blanchelle album does feel like a contender in that way. It, it sonically holds up against the Boy Genius album. It feels like she has a chance of being a lot bigger. It reminded me a little bit of when PJ Harvey first showed up, hmm. like the kind of like really like great guitars, great lyrics, intense, sometimes verging on violence a little bit. And like, and also the sense of like, this is a person who can do a lot of different things over the course of the, like a lot of possibility for her musically going forward beyond just this. And it's interesting, Angie, I didn't know that this, she had this past where she's already changed one time and will probably do other things too. That's weird. She did a Sheryl Crow there. You know, like Sheryl <laughs> right. Crow has That's that right. abandoned slick first attempt at a major label album a, a tori that, amos as well possibly that's a reversed. new list we can do is the turnaround albums from people who made. cheryl doesn't quite count because she never released that album but uh, but like the, all of those artists her debut as Blanche is so strong and so impressive that it makes anything from before seem like this kind of like footnote it, it's such a strong debut such a kind of like planting a flag kind of record simon and i started talking about sabrina like late 2022 as just like oh i'll do this interview it'll be good and then the album came out in March, and I feel like I never got tired of it. I was listening to it almost every day for the rest of the year. And I think that's what made it my top choice, is it's a record I kept revisiting. It kept surprising me in different ways. Um, and, and yeah, I, I love it a lot. Our list of the best indie rock albums of 2023, it was Boy Genius in number one and Blanche in number three. But number two was this great album by Mitski. The land is inhospitable, and so are we. And I was really struck by that album. I'm sort of on and off with Mitski. If you're not a Mitski super fan, it almost feels like you're not allowed to talk about her. I mean, her fans are so passionate about her that I just sort of have wanted to just let them have their passion and sometimes love her and sometimes like her. But this album was really, really beautiful. Kind of a stark turn for her with its kind of rootsiness. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm one of those longtime Mitski fans. I've loved Mitski's music going back to when she was playing like these little like DIY house shows 10 years ago. And I think she's developed in a lot of really fascinating ways over the years. This album, she went to Nashville. This is, you know, in some senses, her kind of like alt country album that ends up being a kind of a format and a voice that really suits her really well. I think you you hear Mitski sing songs like Buffalo Replaced. It has these songs have this kind of haunting quality that really and a classic melody that's going on there that really works for her. Some of them felt almost like her version of country standards, like really countropolitan, but like with a kind of newish, almost like Patsy Cline meets Nick Cave or something, this kind of sense of American aloneness. And it's, it's what's cool about Mitzke, I think, is she's followed 
themes throughout her career, even though her records have changed a lot. The loneliness of romance and sort of these things and sort of American archetypes, one of her records was called Be the Cowboy. And this one, it's just her upping her game with each one, like each as a singer, I think especially. The singing on this record is pretty astonishing at points. And just the level of ambition, especially for someone who was like talking about quitting music not that long ago, I think a record or two ago. It's very impressive that she just keeps making these like statements. Yeah, Mitski, I think on Be the Cowboy was one of the earlier indie rock artists at the time to to kind of delve into country and think like, it's kind of cool to like talk about cowboy hats. Like that was not a thing a few years ago. And I feel like with this album, she's done that already. And this is really her like desperado in a way. It's like very dark, very <laughs> no, totally. haunting. It's like the the image of all the eagles like laying like dead on the, the set of the Western movie or whatever. That's what I literally think of. It's very deeply kind of just mysterious and dark, but it's also what she does best. Like her, her songwriting, I think Bug Like an Angel, um, was a great introduction to this album. It's There's a reason why it was the lead single. And I think she draws on these dark elements of Nashville, but at the same time, she's still at her heart, just a great writer. It's dark on a floor somewhere. I don't, I was a little shocked. Similar to Simon, I'm a longtime Mitski fan. I think if you love Mitski and you have for years, you've been rooting for her for so long. She has an incredible body of work. And to have this song, My Love, Mine, All Mine, became very popular on TikTok. No one was really anticipating Mitski, especially, for this to be like her first fully fledged hit. And it's it's very surprising in a way. And also, like I said, if you want to be like that hardcore Mitski fan, a little bit is like, angry about it, but she's had so many good songs before this. Dolan, you touched on that too, I think. It just felt like, if you listen to the record, it's the least, it's the song that kind of asks the least of you. It's a little kind of almost like flattening a little bit of what she does well compared to some other things on there, but it's, but, but that's no, it's, it is, it's a great song. There's just a lot going on on that record. I saw Mitski play an acoustic show last year, and it was fascinating for me to see. Like, she's on the last few records, she's gone in kind of poppy or more overtly poppy directions. There have been songs that have like more of a beat or a dancey disco production. It was fascinating to see that when it's just her and an acoustic guitar up there, how well like the fundamentals still work for her. And I think that's really what she focused on on this album is reminding you that she's just like a, a really great classic songwriter. And it's ironic and funny that this is the album that yielded the song that actually is a chart hit, like you're saying, because it's not the album where she was trying to make songs that kind of sounded pop or could conceivably take off on TikTok or whatever. Yeah, the pre- Previous album called Laurel Hell, she co-wrote a couple songs with Dan Wilson. She was really trying to get a hit and it was good. Songs like Love Me More, it had this 80s heartthrob synth pop going on. But I think what she does best is just to, like Simon says, just to strip it back and this is what eventually got her hit. Yeah, it turns out that what actually resonates is just Mitski being Mitski. She doesn't yeah. have to work with a, a big hit songwriter. She just does her own thing. And number five on our list is a band that's actually getting pretty big, Wednesday. And it's weird because MJ Lenderman, who's a singer-songwriter that I think a lot of people know, is in the band, but he's not the, the vocalist. He's the guitarist. But I think they're like, who's bigger, MJ Lenderman or Wednesday at this point? I think this year, I would have said last year, his record, um, it was called Boat Song. And it was great. It had a record song called Hangover Game about Michael Jordan's hangover game in the 90s. They weren't even shoes. 
and a bunch of other songs like uh, one of the songs was called uh, i think get the grill out of the rain like that kind of like you know southern miserableism a little bit but real laid back and kind of reminded you sometimes like if the band were on drag city really great and then this wednesday record this was their fifth i think fifth record so it was like they'd been around a little bit and they they put out a really great covers ep where they had done like Vic chestnut and roger miller country classics and also hotline tnt who's a new shoegaze band and this record was a real big breakthrough i think it made them other than maybe boy genius and a couple other examples the one of the biggest indie rock bands it's called rat saw god the, the singer you're right the singer songwriter is carly hartsman who's also sort of in the same tradition for kind of more maybe the, the sort of lucinda williams southern tradition but in a different totally different way singing about kind of like her suburban coming of age and kids passing out in the parking lot of the dollar general and stuff like that but what they do really well is it's twangy, but it's also heavy. And at the same time, kind of, and they have that stupid guitar player. That record is just a record, I, like you guys were saying about Blonde Shell, that I was found myself going back to again and again. There's one song called uh, TV Set in the Gas Pump, stuff like that. Just like these like everyday things that kind of are weird about living in the suburbs and living in the southern suburbs. She's great. I mean, they're going to be, I think, a band that's going to keep getting bigger, or at least artistically keep growing, and also, I think, getting bigger as well. But you're right, MJ Lenderman, who is great, and, and I hope he'll keep making his own records, too. I've never experienced a thing where MJ is almost more popular with people who aren't familiar with indie rock. They do know mm. that name, and they don't know Wednesday, which is absolutely crazy to me. And he was just on the great new Waxahachie single, also yeah. someone who delves really into like the southern rootsy rock now. And indie rock, too. Like, she combines both so beautifully. And I think that speaks to, like, his level that, like, he's singing with her on a single. That record, that song is fantastic. And that record, I don't know if we can speak of future releases, but that is really, that Waxahachie record coming out, the title of which I can't remember right now, is excellent. There you go, Tiger's Blood. Thank you. It's so good. 2024 albums list. Right, right, right. Yes, that's right. Great. Workshopping it already. (laughs) What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind the scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. And then number six is this band Water From Your Eyes. And I think almost all of you like that one. Yeah, this is such a fun album. Water From Your Eyes are, are a duo. There's a singer and there's an instrumentalist producer. The producer guy makes these kind of like weird, cool, super multi-layered loop noise things. And then the singer sings these kind of like deadpan, funny lyrics over them. Uh, you, that adds up to something really kind of like wild and magical and cool on songs like uh, the single Barley. One, two, Both of the members of Water From Your Eyes come from this kind of really out there, arty DIY Brooklyn scene. They're both in lots of different other projects with funny sounding names that you might have heard when you be on Bandcamp one time. And it's been really cool to see this one project, this as a duo, really break through in a big way. They put out their album on a, a bigger indie label, Matador. They, it seems like they connected with a, a bigger audience with this music that really is uncompromisingly 
weird and distinct. Yeah, so much of what's on this list is basically either guitar bands or singer-songwriter kind of guitar stuff, and this is not that at all. And there are guitars on it, but they're like brackish, no-wave at times, just like droning. And every single song, like Simon says, is different, which is really fun about it. Like, you're always being surprised by what they do. And it's also cool. It's like not trying to put you off with its dissonance and its craziness. It's actually kind of draw you in. It's like always fun to listen to, which is a nice twist. It's kind of refreshing compared to everything else on the list because there's a lot more sort of sonic experimentation going on here. And it's not like Animal Collective. It's not quite in that realm. Right, right. But there, there does seem to be an interesting sort of almost conservatism happening in a lot of indie rock right now and this this goes against that so that's a pretty good point i mean it's like with these so many of these records you can go oh you know they're influenced by pavement they're influenced by liz fair they're influenced by you can pick the references relatively easily with a lot of these things but this one you're like that is these are very imaginative songs each one completely different and it's the I don't know about pushing things forward, really, but just like really was like an, an experiment that worked, which is fun. Like it's fun to see people taking risks, big risks. It is. It is weird that there's no like new Animal Collective. You know what I mean? Like they have a record out. They had a record out last year, but, right? Yeah, but right, I mean, yeah. like there's no. <laughs> I mean, there's no new. No, you're right. Yeah, like a, a new thing that is more like Animal Collective that is big, but like really, you know, it's it's interesting. I mean, no one has the patience. Yeah, maybe that's it. Meriwether Post Pavilion was such a big deal at the time. It defined the era and kind of like a whole wave of like all those bands, local native and yaysayer and all that stuff. It's like, it's funny. Like that was the kind of sound of the times. And like, you're right. The conservatism is a good, is a good way to put it. Cause it is like, we're back to guitar rock a lot, which I'm okay with that. Cause I like it. It's funny that things were drifting in a different direction for a few years and then not anymore. You know what? It's, it, you're right. It's not just back to guitar rock. It's what you said. It's a lot of singer-songwriter stuff. A lot of situations, again, where it's maybe not a band, but a person. And a lot of just like, we're writing the songs and then getting arrangements to get the songs across, as opposed to kind of like we're a band sonically exploring. Back in that era, the 2010s-ish era, like... Grizzly Bear, like I was thought right. were a little overrated, were pretty ambitious. Simon's so mad. They're, I'm yeah. so mad. I'm fuming here. Grizzly Bear was great. Grizzly Bear was a great band. I, they're, they're much missed. I can't they're, say this was my era at all for, for indie rock. They I was were definitely, good. yeah. There was that sort of proggy ambition and stuff. And it's just, it's, it's interesting to, to see, not to diss our whole list here because no, because there's a lot of great stuff, but it's, it's interesting. It'd be fun to see more of that ambition come back in. I agree. No, I think, and it's funny to look back at that. I looked at, now that we're talking about it, I look back at that stuff, some of that stuff fondly. I almost want to put it on like all those bands that ever, everybody was like, it's the new pet sounds. Back to Miss was pretty good. The dude from Grizzly Bear is now a... Ed Drost, yeah, Ed he's Drost. a therapist yeah. now. Yeah, he has yeah. a new life course. I think he, he seems pretty happy doing that. And helping others. That's great. Yeah. Indeed. So, Simon, I know you liked the album by U.S. Girls, Bless This Mess. Yeah, that's a, a great album. So, U.S. Girls is one of these projects that maybe sounds like a band, but it's pretty much just a, a solo artist. Meg Remy is her name. She's this kind of brilliant, mischievous, art rock songwriter and musician. She's based in Canada. She makes these kind of clever, satirical records about modern life. And this one is really excellent. I think that some of her catchiest songs ever are on this album. There's a song, Only Daedalus, that sounds like it could be like a Studio 54 disco hit. This is so 
that direction is so unexpected for her. If you listen to her earlier records from like maybe 10 years ago, they were these like harsh, dissonant basement noise projects. And then she a few years ago reinvented herself as this kind of avant-garde pop artist. And it's so cool. It's so fun to hear. Can you talk a little bit about the performance from South by Southwest? Wasn't she like in a box or something? I saw her perform as a hologram yeah. in, in Texas. Yeah, it was yeah, a good show. At, yeah, you were there too. Yeah, at, at South by Southwest last year, she there was a hologram performance that I believe was sponsored by the Canadian government, which is amazing. I wish our government sponsored indie rock holograms. Like I, I, I really wish that was. I thought we were going to get that, you know, when Biden was elected. But um, maybe if Bernie had won, we would have got it. Yeah, <laughs> Actually, yeah. maybe one time. of the it's one of the pillars of RFK Jr.'s platform. <laughs> Um, but it was really, it was, it was weird and cool. It was like, you walked into this venue, it was basically like a bar and there was like a a box that was the size of like a refrigerator in the corner. And then it like turned on and it was very, it was quite realistic. It looked like she was there, but she was actually on like a soundstage in Toronto. Um, but she could, she was performing, she performed a few songs. She could see us, we could see her. She was like interacting with the crowd. Um, it was like the, yeah, the, the indie rock show of the future. But I, I will say that was kind of like a cool curio. A few months after that, I saw her play like an actual show in person with a band that was better. So number eight on our list was a really interesting album. Another one I like because it's weird, Kara Jackson's Why Does the Earth Give Us People to Love? And speaking of 2010s-ish vibes, there's a little bit of freak folk to it, along with, I don't know, like almost like Richie Havens, Nina Simone, like just a really free and open, sometimes mildly jazzy approach. I haven't heard anything like it in a while. It's pretty cool. I think you nailed it, how it sounds, and that's exactly right. It's like this kind of intimate album that's that goes in lots of different places and very personal, but also very also experimental. It's funny, we just talked about three consecutive experimental-ish type albums that now go against our theory. Yeah, while that complaining that it's all singer-songwriter, yeah. but whatever, yeah. Yeah. But that uh, is but she's a singer-songwriter too. It's like like the bed of it is her singer-songwriterness with like lots of other stuff. It's kind of yes, I agree. That's a really interesting Yeah, something like debut? Dickhead Blues. Making a view. Besides, a truly excellent title is a really interesting song that kind of blooms into these harmony vocals. It's it's really it's, it's, it's yeah. wild stuff. I really enjoy it. I really like. Um, I think the song is called Pawn Shop. And their heart becomes your loot. What kind of player does that make you? I think also that album was like the best kept secret of last year, where I discovered it way late, admittedly. And I know other people did too. And then once there was no like casual fans of it, if you like heard it, you instantly were like obsessed with it. Or you didn't get it at all, probably. Jonathan Bernstein was a big champion of that. It's a great album. He was right. And another one at number 10, Bonnie Doon, Let There Be Music. Now, here's like a a classic sounding indie (laughs) rock band. These guys are great. They're from Detroit. They make this kind of like really down the middle, the classic rock of indie rock. And but it's Mm. so good. It's such a like comforting, familiar, warm sound. They really on this album, they called Let There Be Music. I I feel like they really perfected what they're doing. Songs like this song, Naturally. another song San Francisco and the bay. I miss those San Francisco nights 
these are songs that they feel like they could be on some sort of like um you know folk rock album from the 70s that you discover yeah the guy sings a little bit like david berman from the silver jews but the, the sort of vibe of it sometimes with the piano and stuff is more like you know alone again naturally or something like that like they really combine these two impulses in such a fun way it's optimistic and it's sweet but it's not really cloying they're not trying to reinvent the wheel they're just kind of moving along it's really really a sweet a great record i also think you guys reference like the first two tracks on the album i think it's like san francisco naturally and crooked it's like the best intro to any album of like just the first three consecutive like no skips on that crazy how i still feel like a child i heard the sound of a new world being born and they're just like really like like simon said they're like really chill michigan dudes who if you want to like feel relaxed and have a good time listen to bonnie dune they sing about like eucalyptus and san francisco and i think even on one of them they personify sadness to be like What's the matter, sadness? Why are you so sad? They're just really funny and very relaxing to listen to. I love Isn't them. One of the, is Let There Be Music, Let There Be Love is one of the lyrics or something like yes. that, where it's just, we are nice people and we make nice music, which is, yeah. yeah. I think the next one we wanted to talk about was number 12 on our list, Joanna Sternberg's I've Got Me. I Definitely someone, the write-up mentions Daniel Johnston. It does have that kind of childlike, whimsy, oddball voice thing. It's not, like, straight up, it's not necessarily my thing, <laughs> at least not immediately. But I know at least one of you was a big fan. I really do feel like they're the Daniel Johnston of our time. Their songs are so introspective and intimate and personal. And the lyrics are just so, I think, relatable also for, like, Gen Z coming in. I think they do like them a lot. Um, I also was not a fan at first. I think this album, I've Got Me, and the title track itself are just really incredible. It's another album I just kept returning to. They're really great. Once fault but mine Between self-hatred and self-awareness Another thing brings to mind is that kind of moldy peaches freak, another back sort of freak folk, but more the more root, like the more spare down to freak folk. Yeah. Like people like from the 70s, like Peter Stamfel, Michael Hurley, those kinds of like very weird hippies from that time and the voice is striking it takes a little bit of getting used to but i think the songs are worth it the songs make it worth it so number 13 john was saying it's so crazy that there could be an album with taylor swift on it that went a little bit unrecognized and yet somehow it, it happened the national just a consistently great band, let's face I it. I mean, it's yep. like, you know, they're, they're a great band. It's We've said this a million times, but it was so fashionable to just completely dismiss them as boring dad rock until literally the biggest artist in the world started writing and made her best album uh, with, with a key member of the band. And then, then people didn't know what to say. <laughs> they, they were just like, no one ever said I was wrong, but there's a lot of implicit <laughs> I was wrong. But anyway, they actually made two albums this year, but yeah. this was kind of... It feels like this was kind of the main one, first two pages of Frankenstein. I felt like the Taylor Swift thing also kind of rejuvenated them, where, like, I got their last record was, um, you know, it's four years ago. And yeah. it was, I think it's called I Am Easy to Find. And it was like they collaborated with lots of people. And I think you got the sense, and this is just my guessing, that the, the sort of Desner boys were getting maybe a little bit restless with being in the band. Whereas Matt Berninger was not restless at all. He, in fact, made a solo album that was like, I'm still in the national. Like, it was very nationally. <laughs> but um, then they did these records with Taylor, and I think it made them want to, you know, it, it, they felt like they were happy to be back making national songs again. And the songs are, I think it's one of their best records in terms of just song for song, catchy song after catchy song. Funny. I think his sense of humor is always often underrated. 
And I don't know. They did it. It was great to have it back. The second one isn't bad either. The Taylor Swift collab is The Alcott, which is a really cool song. And the last thing you wanted is the first thing I do. That has 40 million streams, where the other songs have 1 million streams. <laughs> but it's great. That's great. She's great on it. And there's two uh, Phoebe Bridgers songs. And the song New Order T-shirt is quite good. It's just a, it's a solid record from a solid band. The Combs walking home to the place on Atlantic you shared with your hilarious sister. And I should point out that they're really leaning into the whole dad thing now. They sell shirts that say sad dads. So they really tried to make this their thing and be proud of it. When they do that, I feel that for me, that's a real like uh, my culture is not a costume moment. <laughs> <laughs> yes, totally. But, and I love the inclusion of Phoebe Bridgers because there, there are young women who are surprised to find that their dads also like Phoebe Bridgers because dads can, in fact, be sad, too. And the generation gap, yeah, probably works at this point. That's probably enough years to have it be like a dad-daughter. They can were both like, go to the show now. There were photos of Billie Eilish's dad when she was blowing up. And he was always wearing Phoebe shirts. I think that's amazing. I know someone who's such a big Phoebe fan and Taylor fan that they went to a national concert hoping that one of them, either Phoebe or Taylor, would show up at that concert. And they did not. But it was a good show. So they're treating the national like they're Joe Grushecki, basically. That's a deep cut. It's a real deep cut, (laughs) right? It's like it's Joe Grushecki at the Stone Pony. Yeah. Anyway, number 14, another veteran band who made, I must say, I hadn't listened to this until recently. I didn't get around to it. It's a great album, Wilco's Cousin. It's a really great album. This album is so good. I think if, if anyone out there listening has listened to you know past year-end podcasts, they've probably heard me say this many times, but this is a, a genuinely great new Wilco album. <laughs> he means it this time. <laughs> I, I always say that, but this one is really great. I, I think you know this is a, a case where I think Wilco realized that they maybe had some rust that they needed to shake off. They worked with an outside producer for the first time in, a, I think, 10 years, maybe more than that. They brought in Kate LeBon. She's a really excellent songwriter and musician from Wales, and she really gave them a kind of new jolt of energy, got them back into a, a more kind of creative, experimental searching mode that maybe they hadn't been in for a while on this album. It's a, a really terrific, really surprising album. Yeah, their last record was a country double record, and it was like, maybe good time for a change. And uh, they, they actually kind of ended up, without it being obtrusive, sounding a little more like her records with a influence of maybe like, a, you know, Robert Wyatt and, and Sons and sort of like a incredible string band things like that and and uh and also i think the record was a little rhythmically a little more centered the way her records are a little bit and uh yeah i totally agree i really thought it it took me a tiny little bit to really notice that but i think her influence comes through a lot her records are also fantastic if you ever want to check out kate laban listeners her records are really good yeah, she's awesome. I would say just sorry, with Woka, I think even at their best in the last 10 years, there have been times where you know where a song is going mm-hmm. when it starts, and that can be great. It's going somewhere good. This was the first Woka album in a while where the songs really surprised me and took unexpected twists and turns in a way that was really cool. I would say maybe the song title, Cousin, is a good one. Noisy in a way and, and, and fun. Also, the song Pittsburgh is an interesting one. It kind of it does ramble tamble, maybe not for a clip, but uh, it is that's a good one too. Going through my clothes. Yeah, the song Levy is also one of my favorite Wilco yeah, songs in a while. Evicted is good. Am I ever gonna see you again? 
A lot of good Wilco songs on this album. <laughs> Number 16 is Bullies, Lucky for You. Yeah, Bully is the project of Alicia Bognano. She is a terrific songwriter, alt-rock musician, producer, too. This is, I think, like her fifth or sixth record, something like that. It's really great. I would really highlight the song Days Move Slow has this incredible anthemic quality. This is a song that that probably would have been a hit 30 years ago and I think should be a hit now. What an incredible song. Bully's records, like, I remember the first one came out, or maybe the, I really liked it. It reminded me of a record that would be like your indie breakout in like 1993. Then the next one was like the one you make after you get signed almost, like in 1995. And like, it's, I feel like she almost went the course of the bands from back then or something like that. But I agree. Great songs, great loud guitars, great record. Great guitarist, great singer too. She's, she has a really terrific kind of howling guttural voice that's really effective and cool. Yeah, her voice is absolutely incredible. And I was shocked, I think. I'm blanking on the sub pop release from like the pandemic. I loved that album, but she, yeah, I just feel like she came out of nowhere, but she's been around for so long and I was really shocked by that. She's not new. This is what her fourth, fifth record. Or yeah. Is that, yeah. She's, yeah. She's been doing it for a while. She was like a great new breakthrough artist. I think it, maybe 10 years ago, something mm-hmm. like that. It's been a while and she's kept like building a career slowly over that time. But this album really stuck out to me. So Katie Von Schleicher has a uh, amazing album title. Feels Harry Nelson-esque. A little touch of Schleicher in the night. And Simon, I know you're a fan of this one. Yeah, I I love this album. So yeah, like you said, the title is a Harry Nilsson joke, and she really goes for it on the album itself with these kind of cool chamber pop orchestrations and this kind of wry lyrical perspective that really do make you think of Harry Nilsson, which is like, a yeah, that's that's an influence that she totally nails. She's also someone who's been doing this for a while. She's been in different bands. She's put out solo records before and has a, a devoted cult audience, but it feels like she really broke out to a new level with this album by going for that new sound. She really took it to a new place. Yeah, it's very like whimsical and there's the childlike like aspect of like the point you see in there a lot. I think um, the song Cranked is incredible. It's really what made me a fan of hers. It's like very psychedelic and almost like lullaby-like. Um, you get really lost in it. It's like wise blood without like the 70s aspect, I think. Well, kind of like Harry Nielsen where it's like, very catchy and melodic but acerbic and 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 like simon says right at the same time she it's like it's amazing how how much she nails sounding like the record title it's incredible it's like she really (laughs) followed through on that one she's great she's great live we just saw her with a comedian joe para opening which was like a very unusual choice but that's kind of like what she does she does her own thing and she kind of where does she even live like new york i think so yeah i was going to mention that show too i mean the the fact that she could have this kind of um fun kind of deadpan understated comedian Joe Para open for her and have it make sense as like the introduction to her set says a lot about her. She, in many ways, the music is, has this kind of stand up comedy quality to it. She gets in so many really funny, great one-liners. And then it's also set against this kind of like beautiful swirling psychedelic magical mystery tour orchestration. I think the tradition of stand-ups opening for comedians, which used to be a big thing, should come back actually. So yeah, that's another seventies reference, right? Didn't they do that? Wasn't that a thing that people would do back then a lot? Yeah, and I, you know, I think Sinatra often had a stand-up right. opening. I know that Guns N' Roses recently brought back Andrew Dice Clay to do an opening set, which was fairly horrifying. If you watch the videos, there were like kids in the crowd. Yola Tango. Yeah, I, I do not recommend Andrew Dice yeah. Clay in 2024. Right. That's a strange. And Yola Tango always has a comedian open up their Hanukkah shows. There you go. Yeah. Number 
22. So partner, peace-loving people. John, you described it as pavement cosplay in, in the best way. But there's, there's other kinds of cosplay as well. There's Dinosaur <laughs> Jr. cosplay. There's Polvo. It's like They really are a, a great, funny, fun, jokey, stonery indie rock band. Very 90s guitar. And there's actually a, one of the songs is a, a woman in the song is bragging about how she's done listening to the band Die Kreutzen, who is a really specific 80s punk <laughs> reference. And now she's listening to Stereo Lab. So they're actually reenacting <laughs> scenes from the time of indie rock in the early 90s. But that record is, they're a good band. And I really, I'm glad you brought that one up because I love that band. Oh. It's like, Get Inside, I think it's called. But if Isabel says Die Krausen is out, and now Stereo Lab's in, well, it was just last week she threw World of Echo. Annie Blackman's Bug. Tell us about that one. Yeah, Annie Blackman is this unbelievably talented singer-songwriter uh, from New Jersey. I, I listened to this EP she put out. It's called Bug, uh, and I was just totally blown away by it. I, I also I saw her perform at South by Southwest and was really impressed. The her lyrics are brilliant, brilliantly observed personal lyrics. Her melodies have this really effortless classic quality. The song The Well is one of my favorite songs of the year. She's someone who, you talk about someone who came out of nowhere. She's not super well-known outside of her fan base yet, but I think she should be, and I think she will be when you listen to that EP. It's really setting the stage for something big. This is like a, a very young woman who grew mm. up listening to Taylor Swift and actually got to meet her. And she works a day job in entertainment journalism. This EP is like absolutely incredible. Blonde Shell is my favorite album of the year, but the song Bug, I think I've listened to more than any song in a very long time. She compares herself to a bug in a drain. It's just like her songwriting is absolutely completely like out of this world. And I, I really think she's going to be huge. Angie, I really like this album by Ian Sweet, which in fact is not someone named Ian Sweet, but rather someone named Jillian Medford performing as Ian Sweet. And the album is called Sucker, and it's one of the poppiest albums on this whole list, I would say. I always think of like her as like the opposite of Blonde Shell in some ways. You know, like Sabrina grew up in New York, grew up to this like gritty Patti Smith-like punk aesthetic. Jillian is from LA and doesn't like it. And now they've switched where Blanchelle is living in LA as a musician. Jillian is obsessed with living in, um, I think Prospect Park is where she is she right now. And she, her boyfriend works for SNL. Like she is the most like New York, like the happiest city girl I've met in a long time. And this record is basically all about her love for Coldplay. She genuinely <laughs> loves Coldplay, even before when they were cool, when they weren't cool. For She's been riding the wave for so long. And a lot of our interview was about that very fact of, I don't want to be this sad indie girl that everyone talks about. Like, I love pop and I love synths and I want to make something fun. So her song, she, her lead single on that was called Your Spit. But if you kiss me like you mean it, kiss me like you're leaving, your spit tastes different. And that, that was good. It was like a really nice introduction to what the album would be like. But I feel like it was only like a little preview of what was to come because the album, it's called Sucker. You know, one of our, our colleagues, she's a Leah Liu from social media. We talk about this album almost every day. The song Smoking Again, I pretty much wake up to it all the time. It's like such a great anthem about literally smoking again. <laughs> she was like trying to make this album and was upstate at a cabin, literally just smoking a lot. And that's what the song is about. Uh, but it's it's so it's so fun and upbeat and it's like very synth poppy 80s. 
Um, and I just, I loved, it was so refreshing talking to like a young singer songwriter who enjoys pop and is like very unabashed about it. I think it's one of my favorite albums on this list, actually. It's a really good album. It's wild because if you listen to the previous Ian Sweet albums, like the albums she put out four or five years ago, they're these kind of like angular, weird, loud sounding indie rock. They don't sound like Coldplay at all. And they don't sound like someone who likes Coldplay <laughs> made them. So it's it's kind of cool to see her, you know, really embracing that inner kind of like pop love that she has. Didn't yeah, I could have a song called Spit as well. Wasn't that one of her songs from the previous or two records ago? It's a very spit focused artist, but um, very I agree. I, yeah. Yeah. And then there's my favorite song from her previous album she released in the pandemic is called Drink the Lake. And it, it's incredible. But as Simon said, a lot of that album is very dark. It's about when she was living in like a mental health facility. And she was she it's really hard for her to listen to it now. You know, it was a specific moment in time. And I think she kind of finished all of that and is like, I just want to have a good time. She's living in New York. She she loves, you know, Mr. Martin. She wants to just hang out. It's funny. Obviously, it is a little more unusual to hear at least someone in indie Coldplay as an influence. But it's just funny, like how how much that circle has turned because around 1998, it was hard to find a band that wasn't influenced by Coldplay. But she doesn't just time. like Coldplay. Did, didn't she, isn't one of her music videos on this album is like a shot for shot remake of the Yellow video? <laughs> she right? did a shot for shot remake of Yellow and um, we don't put this in, but what's the, the group of comedians, the, the three of them on SNL that aren't really on Please SNL? Don't destroy. Thank yeah. you. So Martin is her boyfriend and he got her uh, backstage for <laughs> SNL. <laughs> Sorry. No, I know. So anyway, she got a chance to meet Chris Martin when Coldplay performed for SNL and waited in the wings to meet him and has never been like that with a famous person. But this was like her, you know, it's just absolutely incredible. So I think the next one we wanted to talk about was Bar Italia. Oh, yeah. And the album is Tracy Denim. I like how it's, if you look at it, you know, you could spend, and you don't know the band, you could spend 10 minutes trying to figure out what is the band name and what is the album title, but there's a long history of that. They're both good. They both work for each. Exactly. The band name is Bar Italia. Tracy Denim, I I want to start a band called Tracy Denim tomorrow. It's a great name for a band. The title is, the band name is Pulp Song. And they, right. they are from England, and they, but they don't really sound like that. What they kind of sound like is the whole canon almost of like drony English, drony things like from The Cure and New Order up until um, 90s things like maybe Flying, Sa- Flying Saucer Attack and these kind of drony uh, 90s bands. Uh, and uh, the, the record, it, it took me a little while to get into the, to, to, to that album, but it, it really grew a lot with me. They're a really cool band. Yeah, this band rules. Baratelli, they're great. For anyone who doesn't know, they're they're a UK trio. There are three of them. Up until pretty recently, they had this whole very well-cultivated air of mystery where they wouldn't do interviews. They wouldn't confirm their names. They wouldn't do photo shoots. They would just put out this like incredibly well-made, like you're saying, drony, arty, post-punk music. And it's so good. I just want to note, they actually put out two albums last year. There was, the, mm-hmm. there was Tracy Denim. There was a second album from later in the year called The Twits that I think is even better. You listen to songs like My Little Tony. That song is so good. It's like thrashing noise equals song. Or there's a song called Jelzy, um, which has a kind of like, a, you know, more of like an acoustic ballad from Bar Italia. Um, 
Um, I'll say I, I saw them play a show last year at the Bowery Ballroom, and it was like the most packed I've seen that venue in years. They have a really intense fan base of people who I think discover their music online and that kind of the mystique worked. Like it was just it was like a completely wall-to-wall packed room of people like singing back every weird obscure lyric from this band. It was really cool to see. Nice. All right, thanks everyone. A lot of great music there. Indie rock. Yeah, never die. Never gets old. And that's our show. We'll be back next week. In the meantime, subscribe to Rolling Stone Music Now wherever you get your podcasts. And please leave us five stars and a nice review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, because that's always appreciated. But as always, thanks so much for listening, and we will see you next week. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.